Amen, amen. Well, Happy New Year, Two Cities Church. Amen. It's 2020. Okay, 2020 just turned 21. Let's hope she doesn't start drinking, okay? This is going to be, 2020 was a crazy year. Uh, we don't know what's in store for 2021, but we're excited, okay? When I think about the future, the future is always bright from a biblical perspective. And there are many things that I am eager and excited and energized about. And that residency is one of them. It's like, okay, if we're going to reach the next generation, we need to raise up the next generation to reach the next generation. I want you to understand that we see the residency as part of the sending arm or sending wing of our church. We have always said from day one that our sending capacity, the amount of people that we send out of here will be much more important than our seating capacity. And so let me just say this. Uh, we have a desire to plant more churches. We have a desire to see more nonprofits start up. We have a desire to see churches be in every major city in the United States. And to do that, we are going to need more men and we're going to need more women. So if you're watching online or if you are in the VHQ venue or you're in this room, if you know somebody who's saying, I want to get into ministry, it's like anything. Like what's, the, what's the hardest job to get? Your first job, <laughs> right? It's like, man, what would it look like to say, I want to invest two years at, at Two Cities Church. I want to learn. I want to be developed so that I can be sent somewhere in the world and I could be useful for the church and for Christ. So that's the first thing. It's like, Happy New Year. That's what we're doing. The second thing is hold the rope. Now, I've been talking about hold the rope for about six weeks now. We are incredibly excited. Uh, this is something we've been doing annually. Okay, we're four years old, so we've been doing it for three years, okay? Um, and what this has been is this is an end-of-the-year offering to help our partners locally, nationally, and globally. The first time we did this, we moved into this building. We'd been in this building for a few weeks, and we thought, let's try to raise some money to be generous to three people outside of our church, a local, national, global partner. Well, in 2018, those of you who were here, raise your hand if you were here in 2018, all right, I see that hand, I see that hand. Okay, there you go. Not that many of you, right? But anyway, well, in 2018, we just said, could we do something? And you guys gave $50,000. So over the, from 2018 to 2019, we doubled in the amount of people that were coming here. So I went to public high school, but I did the math, and I thought, okay, double amount of people, maybe double money. But it was quadruple. You guys last year gave $198,000. So then in 2020... I thought, well, I don't know what's going to happen because I don't know who's watching online. I don't know who's always here. It's been, it's COVID. It's been hard. It's been hard financially on some people. So I, I just didn't know what was going to happen. My, my hope, prayer, goal, plan was like, could we reach, maybe slightly exceed our goal from last year? Well, you guys gave so generously, that, let me find this exact number here, um, <laughs> that you guys gave $362,182.94. Woo! And 94 cents. If you're new, this is just a part of the culture of our church. We're just excited to give money away. It was like, woo! Um, this is great. I know what you guys are thinking when you look at that number. Who gave 94 cents? I don't know, okay? <laughs> Widows might. We're excited that they did. Uh, grateful for this, guys. Listen, um, three partners. We've got a local partner who is David Parsons. God bless David Parsons, right? He is doing the hard ministry in our city to, for generational, financial, and spiritual poverty. We're going to get to call him this week and say, How, what, what would you do with $90,000? Do you know how much money that is? $90,000 to help you go further faster. I got to call Jeremy Woods. Pastor Dave was on the phone as well. Say, man, hey, look, you're going, to a, you're going to a hard place, Myrtle Beach, in a hard year, the year of COVID. And we want to bless you with $90,000. He was completely overwhelmed. That means we're going to be able to give the last $180,000 to Mumbai. Completely overwhelming. And on top of that, we still had the highest giving month to our general fund. Because that's just the type of church that we are. That's the type of people that you are. 
So thank you for your generosity. We are incredibly excited. If you're new and you're like, man, I, it's awesome. You guys are starting a residency and you're giving away, you know, 350,000 plus dollars. I want to be a part of this. We're glad you're here, okay? Um, the Weekender is your way, okay? The Weekender happens often in our church, January 22nd, 23rd. We'd love to see you there. It's over halfway full, okay? It's going to fill up. These always fill up. Uh, we would encourage you to go to the Welcome Tent or the website, go online or go outside. We would be very excited about that. Now, let's take a moment and pray together for our city, for those ministry partners, and for 2021. Pray with me. Lord, we just come to you right now in Jesus' name, and we pray for David Parsons, for Jeremy Woods, and for the Mumbai team. We are thankful for people doing ministry all in a very hard place. And we ask that you would encourage them and you would support them. And that this would be just a way to say, we're for you, we're behind you, we believe in you. We believe there is $362,000 of gospel ministry to be done in those three areas. And we are excited to support it. Lord, we take a moment at the beginning of 2021 to pray for our city. And the best way I know how to stop and pray for our city is to pray for the churches in our city. What every, what every city needs is more and more good gospel preaching churches. I can't name them all, Lord, but I thank you for Calvary Baptist Church. I thank you for Center Grove. I thank you for Redemption Hill. I thank you for Salem Chapel. Lord, I thank you for First Press. I thank you for um, churches, Lord, that you have put in our city. Lord, I pray that 2021 would be a year full of grace and truth for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, whether you're watching online or in the VHQ venue, or if you are uh, in this room, welcome. You can type to, turn to, Jeremiah 29. If you're new, what we normally do is walk through books of the Bible. We're gonna do that next week. Uh, I'm still gonna walk through a passage of scripture, but we're gonna be in Jeremiah 29. Some of you know only one verse out of this chapter. Jeremiah 29, 11, okay. Those of you who grew up in Sunday school said 11, okay, great. That's, I have plans for you. You know I've got the plan. You know the plans I have for you, okay? That you know that verse, you've memorized that verse, uh, uh, along with the Tim Tebow, Philippians 4.13 verse, okay? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's probably one of the, the, the most favorite and famous memory verses. We'll get to there. But I wanna talk a little bit, as you're turning there, I wanna talk a little bit about vision because that's what we're doing today. We're gonna take, we don't do this all the time. I've actually only done this twice, where we take a Sunday, it happens to be at the beginning of the year, last time it was at the beginning of the fall, to go, let's talk about vision because vision is so important. Let me tell you what vision is. If you want a good definition of vision that you could memorize and embrace for your life, it's this. Vision is a picture of something in the future that produces passion in the present. Vision, I know I talk fast. Vision is a picture of something in the future. You having a great marriage, right? Your kids loving the Lord. You figuring out your finances. You no longer struggling in the same way with the same sins. It's a vision of something in the future, picture, that produces passion, energy, excitement. This is why you need it. Life's hard, right? Vision leaks. Why? Because vision's about the future and your life's about right now, right? Suffering's hard on vision. 2020's hard on vision. COVID's hard on vision. Other people, you tell someone your vision, they're hard on it. So why do we even talk about vision? Well, because the Bible is full of vision. So the written down word of God is God's vision for your life. God is a, I mean, I want you to think about God differently. God is a visionary. That's what he is. Uh, creation was his idea. The church was his idea. Food, sex, his idea. The future, the, you, the book of Revelation is God's vision for the future. 
And so what I want us to do is we're gonna look today at a very simple vision, a vision that you can take. I'm not giving you today the vision of our church for 2021. That's not what I'm doing. I'm giving you God's vision for the church in general, and you're gonna apply it to your life, right? Because you don't wanna be in the exact same place. What you, what you need, and this is good to know, what you need in your life is always a vision and a counter vision. If you've never heard that, this is very important. A vision and a counter vision. You know this because what does Paul say when he says the fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5, what's right next to the fruit of the spirit? Because that would be a vision for your life, the works of the flesh. What's that? A counter vision for your life. Why does Moses and Joshua and every prophet basically say, hey, you got two options. You could do this and your life would go well and you could do this and your life would not go well. Vision, counter vision. Right, I mean, how many of us got back from Christmas and we saw somebody in our family and we said, I mean, you hate to say this out loud, but I don't want to be like you. I don't want to drink till I fall asleep every night. I don't want to be proud of all of the Netflix shows I watch. I don't want to hang out with my hobbies my whole life. That's not what I want. I don't want to live too, I don't want to have your marriage. I don't want to be sexless roommates raising kids. I don't want to live in two complete part, different parts of the house, I mean, whatever it is. But then there's other people you go, well, I would love your life. What are you doing? You, it, it's like, here's what your vision, your, your vision, we'll talk about this today, is who you could be by grace and grit. If God was gracious and you were gritty and you'd work hard and you'd repent of that sin and you'd confess it and you'd work on your marriage and you know, you'd figure out your finances and you'd stop loving money, who could you become? And you developed your, you've discovered your spiritual gifts because you don't know what they are. And then you develop them, that'd be helpful. And then you deployed them in the church, well, that would be great. And then, and then, and then basically your counter vision is who you will become if you let yourself go. And that's a little different. Now, most temptation is the same for most, you know, people. But your counter vision is like, you know, if the besetting sins that you've been hiding grew. Maybe God's been gracious and, and, and you know, it hasn't grown as much, but if it grew, it would destroy your life. It's like, well, that's a counter vision for your life. And so what we're gonna do, if you'll turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, we're gonna see he gives this vision to a community. Why? Because we need each other. Vision leaks. Life is very hard on vision. The reason you need a community group and we need Sundays is in large part to remind ourselves of what God's vision for us is. So turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse one. It says this, these are the words of the letter. So this is the written down word of God. Where do you get your vision from? You get your vision from God's word. These are the words that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles. We'll talk about that in a second. But look who this letter is written to. And to the priest and, or the prophets. So you think, is this just for leadership? No, no, look at the next verse. And all the people, here's what, what will change your life is when you realize the word of God is for me. That what God, God doesn't just say something to leaders. God doesn't just say something to professionals. God doesn't just say something to pastors or preachers or, or people in full-time ministry. God has a word for me. So one of the things that, that Jeremiah wants to be really clear is, hey, this is a word for everyone. This is a vision for everyone. Here's what it says. Whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So basically, the church finds itself as a minority in the culture again, right? This happens again and again and again. This happened in the book of Daniel. We've talked about this many, many times. Here's what's different. Normally what would happen is when people would take over Israel, they would either do two things, expel them or enslave them. Now, when you expel a people, you kick them out. You go, get out of here. This is our land now. Now, when you expel people, does it normally go well? The answer is no, okay? <laughs> normally they get mad, they go away, they have lots of kids, and they come back like 100 years later and they kill you. I mean, that's, the, that's what happens when you expel people. And then what happens when you enslave people? 
what's sinful and it's wrong, okay? But, but usually they rebel, they resist, okay? And so but what Babylon found out is, well, if, if we expel them, that doesn't work. And if we enslave them, that doesn't really work. So what they do is what we have to deal with in culture now. They entice them. They assimilate them. They say, here's what we'll do. We did, we'll just, you'll become more and more like us. You'll become more American than you'll be Christian. Your identity, the way you think about sex and marriage and family and God will be much more just like the average American. There, it will not be distinctly Christian. So what, and this is why this is such a timely word for us. What Jeremiah, God through Jeremiah, is saying to the people is, I'm going to teach you how to flourish in a foreign land how to mature and multiply even while you're a minority, how to endure even while you're in exile. And so I want us to see this word. There's one more kind of background. If you look at me at verse two and three, there's a lot of, a lot of names in here uh, that you know, you, we've never heard of before. It says this though. This was after King Jeconi and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha the son of Shaph, Shaphan, and Jermarah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And then it says, you know, it's going to tell us what it said. So here's what the background is. And this is interesting, right? I, I love God's word because it's always timeless. It's always timely. We don't ever need to make God's word relevant. It, we just need to understand it and see and show its relevance. What was the background for a need for renewed vision? Changing political landscape. Are we in a situation where there might be some changing political landscape? Are we in a situation where lots of things are changing and the world feels very, very different? It's not just political, right? The world just changes. I mean, you've got metal workers there, you've got craftsmen there, you've got different industries talked about there. Now, what happens is things change in the culture and it affects the church. Let me give you a classic example. So the sexual revolution, people go, well, you know, the sexual revolution, what happened? Is it, is it kind of extreme feminist teaching? Is that what created it? Some people might say yes. People say, I know what it is. It's the birth control pill. That's what created the, that, that's actually what made everyone, actually the, the best historians say, do you know what created the sexual revolution or began it? The automobile. Think about it just for two seconds. I mean, it was the first time you could take your daughter away from dad. Daughters were taken away from their dads for the first time in human history and gone somewhere and who knows what happened all the time. And, and that was many consider the beginning of the sexual revolution. So sometimes it's even hard to understand what's going on. Now, culturally, here's what happened. They're away from their church. They're away from the temple. They're away from the synagogues, right? They're not in Jerusalem. They're not in Babylon. They're in Babylon. What does that mean? They can't gather in person for worship. We've had that experience, haven't we? And so in a changing, crazy, politically tense culture, God has a specific word for the church. And it's so simple. I just want to give it to you. You're going to see it. It's going to rise right out of scripture. It starts, if you'll turn with me, to verse four. Verse four says this. Thus says the Lord, in a crazy political season, when culture is changing and you feel like the minority, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles, and then this is shocking and surprising if you're hearing it for the first time. And by the way, the Bible should shock and surprise you if you're reading it honestly for the first time and letting it hit you. It says this, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What God is saying is, I did this to you. I put you in Babylon. Now, it's interesting because other places in the Bible, it'll say, well, it was because they were sinful and stupid and rebellious and wouldn't repent. And that's all true too. 
right? That's man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. But, you know, a lot of times you'll find yourself in a place that's very, very hard in your life. And I can't answer every question about the sovereignty of God. But a foundational belief must be God cares and God's in control. Because people who get themselves, I mean, I just, I've seen this from 15, minute, 15 years of pastoral ministry. If somebody finds themselves in a position that's really hard, they want to normally try to get God off the hook. Well, he probably didn't know, and he probably couldn't, and, and, and it's not his, and it's like, well, guess what happens when you try to get God off the hook? He's not there to help. If he, he can get you out of it, maybe he's weak in another area. Maybe he's not good. Maybe he doesn't love you. What he's going to say, this is so important. Here, here's, here's where vision starts. God says this, I've sent you to this time, this people, this place. Right? I mean, how many of you, it's like, you, you're like, I wasn't planning on living in Winston-Salem. I've been trying to get a job in Charlotte. Sorry. Okay, you're here. <laughs> You've been sent to this place. That's the conviction of scripture. Right? Winston-Salem, fifth, fifth largest city in North Carolina, grew by 10% over the last decade. Many of you, you found yourself back in Winston-Salem and you're, you're like, well, I came back here for grad school and I just kind of stayed. My wife wanted to move back here because we had a kid and that's why we're here. It's like, no, actually, you've got to believe it's more than that. A conviction starts with, I'm here and I'm sent to a certain time. It's like, look, it's, it's 2021, all right? The, uh, the biblical idea is we're grateful for the past. We learn from the past. We're hopeful about the future, but we're living always in the present, right? We, we've got to say, Jim Elliott, the famous missionary, you guys have heard of him before? He was... Uh, a martyr, missionary, uh, he famously said, wherever you are, be all there. Live everything that you believe to be the will of God to the full extent. And so he says, you're sent to this time, you're sent to this place, you're sent to these people. We're sent, we know, so one of the things, whenever you're, you, know, you plant a church, one of the things they ask you is to do a lot of research on your city. And one of the things we realize is this is a very, 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 very religious city. So we understood that coming to Winston-Salem, we were going to have to be very, very clear about the gospel because there are 516 churches and there are many religiously lost people. People who are in church but who are not in Christ. I would say probably half of our baptisms are people who thought they were Christians beforehand. And they've been awoken up to the gospel and to the truth. And so he says, here's what I want you to understand. I've sent you to a certain time, to a certain people, to a certain place. It's like, okay, so what do you want me to do? That's the underlying conviction you have to have, right? The underlying conviction is God has sent me here. And it's like, be confident in that, right? Here's an application of that. Stop complaining. Stop making excuses. Stop whining. Right? By the way, if you want to be a leader, nobody follows someone who makes excuses, plays the victim card, and whines. You say, well, here's where I am. This is where God has me for this year. And I want to be as faithful and fruitful as I can. Whenever God closes the door, my conviction is that he opens the door. I heard Tim Keller, he was saying how hard this year has been on him. If you guys don't know him, he's a pastor in New York City. And he basically said, I got pancreatic cancer. Um, in 2020, he was telling the story. And he said, and what I saw was immediately doors were closed and doors were opened. And he said, that's your whole life. He couldn't travel, he couldn't speak. He was hospitalized. He, had he said, but immediately doors were closed. Immediately a bunch of new doors were open. I have a new deep way to write about suffering. I'm ministering in all these hospitals. He's like, doors are open even when doors are closed. That's the conviction that why, you know, that's actually a good question. Why, God, do you have me here? Why did you put me on this street? Why am I in this school? So he says, you're sent to a certain people. Here, look at this. This is the simple vision. Here's the vision, verse five. It's really surprising. It, 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 it's the opposite of what most Christians do. Build houses and live in them. Commit yourself to one city. Stop looking for jobs in Raleigh and in Charlotte. 
Stop thinking the grass is greener on the other side, the grass is greener where it's watered. And what you need to do is you need to buy a house and settle down. And you gotta do it in your heart. By the way, one of the reasons that Dave, Pastor Dave and I, this is kind of a little tangent, I didn't show this in first service, but one of the reasons when we moved here, we bought houses immediately is because it communicates something. It communicates, we're not going anywhere. One of the reasons that people go, why are church buildings so important? It's like, well, they facilitate ministry and they communicate to something to your city. We're not going anywhere. We're becoming part of the social and economic fabric of this city. We love this city. So he says, here's the first thing. Build houses. Just don't build them and give them to someone else. You live in them. And then he says, plant gardens and eat their produce. I want to talk about this because they're, this is the right way to think about Christianity. Let me tell you some of the wrong ways. Because so, you can't really see it. Like, well, isn't this what we're supposed to do? Yes. But let me tell you what most people do. Most Christians either do this. Same as culture, separated from culture, or a subculture. So a subculture is I Christianize and sanitize everything because I'm afraid of the world. And some of you do that. And, and, and I, the example, you know, I remember going to the Family Christian Bookstore, and I love the Family Christian Bookstore. I don't even think it exists anymore. But I went to the Family Christian Bookstore and I was a brand new Christian. And I remember, okay, there's all these Christian books in there. And then I go on up to the register to pay for a book. And on the front counter, they're trying to sell, sell me Testa mints. I'm like, why do we need a Christian mint? So I bought two packs. No, no, but I just, no, but you get what I'm saying? You're like, what, what is it? Is, is it? are the other mints bad? You know what I mean? What, why do we need a Christianized version of a mint? It's kind of a silly example, but that's what we do. We want to Christianize, we want to sanitize. A lot of it comes out of fear. It does. And I'm just telling you, I've met the kids of people who raise people in a subculture. And what happens? I know what happens. They are so protected. Usually they're even protected where they go to college. They don't even, they don't know anything. And then they get out and then in their late, in their, I've seen this, in their mid-20s, they live out their teenage years. Because they're, are we against protecting people? No. Are we against, you know, being wise? No. Okay. Are, are we against sh- sheltering our children so they're naive? Yes, we are against that. We want our children to be innocent, not naive. Secondly, they're separated from culture. Separated from culture is more extreme. Most of us aren't doing that. Um, separated from culture is what the Amish do, right? If 1850 comes back, the Amish are ready. They are, okay? They've completely separated themselves from culture. When you separate yourself from culture, it's normally, it's normally I think I'm better than, and I'm, I'm literally sometimes angry at or I criticize them. The third temptation is to be the exact same as culture, and there's two ways that that happens, right? Theologically liberal churches, that's most mainline churches, they basically say, hey, we can't reach people unless we just kind of go along with everything that Americans already believe. So we'll just paste and duct tape Jesus onto everything Americans already believe. And guess what's happening in all of those churches? They're dying. Because nobody wants to show up, give a percentage of their income and half of their Sunday for people who just believe the same thing every other American does. There's no mission, and when you die, you disappear. No thanks. You know? so, so that, but what's interesting is there's a whole other side of it, which is called the prosperity gospel. Which is another way we try to be the same as culture. We just say, hey, actually, let me tell you, Jesus will actually, yes, there's the cross, and yes, there's, uh, but really, uh, you know, and yes, there's forgiveness, but really, Jesus wants just to bless you. Jesus just wants to give you health, wealth, and prosperity. So, you know, and, I, and it makes me sad, but, you know, a pastor a couple weeks ago, Carl Letts, you may have heard of him, big pastor, New York City, Hillsong Church, um, had a massive multiple moral failures. And nobody was really surprised about it. He was, he looks, I mean, he just looks worldly. I don't know what else to call him. He was Justin Bieber's pastor. 
But what, one of the interesting things that, that came out of it was Joe Rogan. If you don't know who Joe Rogan is, you're probably over 40. Um, Joe Rogan is the number one podcaster in the world. And it was interesting because he, he was talking about Carl Lentz. I didn't even know he knew who he was. He goes, oh, I've been making fun of this guy for years. I'm, I'm watching, he's talking on this podcast. He said, I've known this guy isn't a Christian. Joe Rogan's a non-Christian saying, I know this guy wasn't a Christian. He said, he doesn't worship at the religion of Christianity. He worships at the religion of social media and celebrity. He's like, that's been super clear for me. I don't know why everybody else hasn't seen that. Those who are watching the world even realize when we're the same as the culture, we have nothing to say to the culture. When we're not distinct and different. So what is the alternative? The alternative is to be an attractive alternative, a counterculture. Do you know when Paul says, be in the world but not of it, do you know that that's a double command? We just tend to read the second part of it. Don't be in the world. No, no, no. Be in the world, but don't be of it. And that's a really, right, that's a hard, I'm not saying this is easy, right? The, it's, Tim Keller says it's, it's, you're not a tourist and you're not a native, right? A tourist is I just consume. And that's what a lot of millennials do. They go to a city and they simply consume for a couple years. Oh, I need to live in New York City and I'll just, why? Because I need to consume whatever's up there. You know, and then if you actually read about what's happening in the, you know, the Northwest, a lot of times it's like, you know, people are leaving Seattle because they've consumed everything they can consume in Seattle and they're moving to Portland. And before that, they were in Denver. And their whole life is like what most Americans' life is just about consumption. But Tim Keller says, we can't be a tourist and we can't be a native. A native is I'm so comfortable. I'm not consuming this, but I'm so comfortable. This really feels a lot like my home. It really, it really feels too much like my home. It, and this is, you know, that's probably our temptation as Americans, which is why you don't hear a lot about heaven. You don't hear a lot of t- talks on the second coming of Jesus because we feel like this is our home. So we're, we're talking about being a counterculture. Now, let me explain this. That's the whole build houses. What he's going to basically say, he's going to say build houses, live in them. He's going to talk about a bunch of things you should do. And then he's going to talk about, I want you to multiply. And I don't want you to believe what they believe. He, he, it's kind of, I want, again, I want you to be in the world, not of it. Now, here's how we say it here a city within a city. And I've not d- talked about this enough in the four and a half years we've been in church. The reason we call ourselves Two Cities Church is because of this passage. Two Cities Church means two things. It means it's a double entendre. I know we're cool. Okay. Um, uh, it's, the first thing is it means Winston-Salem came together in 1913. Okay, so two cities came together in 1913. So that was like, hey, we, we have a city vision. We want to talk about that. The second is that... that Augustine, a very famous uh, uh, father of the faith, basically, uh, he, he, he was the first to kind of say this. The, the church is a city within a city. There's the city of God and there's the city of man. And what happens is in the city of, in the city of God, we do everything differently. So in Winston-Salem, it's like, we'll see this in a minute. You know, we do marriage, but we do it differently than the world does. We do family, we do it differently. We do career, work-life balance, but we do it differently. We do finances, but we do it differently. We do relationships and forgiveness, but we do it differently. It's called being a city within a city. This is why we have the symbol that we have. Every once in a while, someone will come up to me with the symbol and they'll go, did, I mean, did you take this off a of remote control? Is this just the up arrow and the down arrow on a remote control? No, no, yeah. no I didn't. Um, what we did was it, it, it points up to the city of God and it points down to the city of man and the dash represents the dash for Winston-Salem when we're in the middle. And we're trying to be a city within a city. 
We're trying to be an attractive alternative. We're trying to be distinct and different, but delightful. And so the first thing he says is you have to build houses, you have to plant gardens. You have to invest yourself deeply in the social and the economic fabric of your city. You know, I already said, you know, I, I would hope, we, we have a sending culture here, we'll send you. If you feel like God's calling you somewhere else, great. We're, we're, we're gonna rejoice with that, we wanna hold people lightly. If you feel like, man, I could stay in Winston-Salem for a while, then would you? And would you commit in your heart? We've got a, young, a lot of young people coming here for grad school, maybe you stay. Help us as we continue to wanna build a city within a city. It's, and he says, look, he says, plant gardens. Basically, start things, start things. Christians need to start things. Some of you, you're very gifted, you need to start things in our city. It's like, it's like, who should you be like? Well, be like Don Flo. It's like, who's Don Flo? He's a Christian in our city who bought a skyscraper. You're like, well, I can't do that. That's okay. But what he did was he bought a skyscraper. I don't know all the details of it, but he bought a skyscraper, moved his headquarters there, and then decided that he was going to incentivize young starting businesses to come and work there. It's like, wow, why would you do that? Well, maybe because you want to invest in the future of your city. It's like, you know, do you understand? I mean, this is part of humility. It's like, do you understand that you're sitting on the blessing of the Haynes family and the Reynolds family? I don't know how Christian they were, but I, I know it's like, well, thank God they cared about our city. You know, most people are so consumed with themselves, they can't care about anybody else. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build houses. I want you to establish yourself. And I want you to start things. I don't know what you could start. Some of you are like, you need to start a coffee shop, whatever. It's like, you need to start a business. You need to start a nonprofit. What a great time. On the other side of COVID, as there's a redistribution of all these things, what a great time for the church to step in and say, and Christians step in and say, let's start things. But then he gets even more practical. He says, okay, guys, listen. Once you, think about it. It makes sense. Here, here's how you have to get a vision for your life. Okay, God sent me here. Great. Okay, establish yourself there because he sent you there. Well, great. Okay, well, what next? We'll look at the next verse. It's so simple. It arises right out of scripture. Take wives, verse six, and have sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons. And give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Oh, interesting. Somebody's thinking not just about themselves. Somebody's not just thinking about a good time. They're thinking about a good life and legacy and lineage. They're not just, they're thinking about multiple generations here. It's like you need to be in your 20s thinking about your grandkids and thinking about what kind of grandfather would you want to be? Here's what he says. Your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Now, here's what he's saying. This is so awesome and so convicting. Do you want to change and transform your city? Have a great marriage and have a great family. So you want to do something radical. Love your wife, love your husband, communicate, forgive one another, raise kids that don't hate you. Have Christ at the center prioritize your family over your career, you don't even know what would happen. And you have to talk, every time we talk about marriage and family, it's like, well, why aren't we talking about singles? It's like, we are talking about singles too, right? Most singles will get married. 90% of people will still get married. Most people who get married want to have kids. And are we against singleness? Well, nope, Jesus was single. Are we against singleness? Nope, Paul was single. Are we against singleness? No, we're all going to be single in heaven. I hate to break it to you if you didn't know that, okay? Um, so it's like, yes. So we're not against singleness, but there's something that happens with marriage and family. Look, he, he's, saying, he's saying, get married. He's saying, have kids and have a generational legacy. Most people, are they, are they concerned at all about getting married? No. The average American is now delaying, right? We, emerging adulthood, extended, adolescence, okay? People are delaying marriage. Marriage used to be the thing that was at the very beginning of your adult life to which you would then build a legacy in life together. And now it's a way to self-express yourself maybe later in life as an option. 
in the church, we just hold up marriage and we say, look, marriage is a great thing. My, my brother was about to get married and he is married now. He was engaged. He told one of uh, an older gentleman that he knew that he was getting married. And the older gentleman said to him, you're breaking into prison. Some of you are like, some of you are like looking at your wife, can I laugh at that? Um, uh, <laughs> nope. Um, so, but it's interesting. The, the whole thing about that is, is it's, it's, it's a whole mindset though. It, it is kind of funny at one level because it's a mindset, right? Of how people think about it. I remember before I got married, someone said to me, the only reason to get married is to have kids. If you don't have kids, don't get married. It's like, not encouraging. But that people view marriage as this kind of slavery, as this end of your sexual life, as this end of whatever. And, and Christians are those who have to hold up and say, I love being married. Marriage is hard. And the greatest thing I could do if I want to reach my neighborhood and reach my city is work on my family. How about kids? Right? What happens when you see somebody who has more than three or four kids? What, what do you normally think? Mormon? right? Or evangelical Christian or serious Catholic, right? I mean, it's, it's because, it's because, I mean, there, there really is, I mean, there's almost nobody, you know, it's like the atheists aren't having six kids. Uh, you know, it, 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 there's this whole idea, and I don't fully understand it, I didn't have time to do enough research on it, but there's a deep connection with faith and children, and a belief in God, and a belief in goodness, and a belief in a future, and a belief in a hope, and a belief in a responsibility. And let me just tell you, some, young, some of you young people, are like, man, you should not, do not delay marriage more than you need to. All the time I'm talking to these young women that they want to get married, and these guys are trying to, the guys are wasting their lives, getting their third masters or whatever that they don't need, trying to download free porn on the internet, you know, trying to travel. Stop it. It's like, all right, what, what do I need to become? How can, I, how can I, you know, marry a woman? How can I build a legacy? How can I build a life? How can I build a family? There are tons of women in this church and in this city that that's what they want. And so, and it's a powerful picture. So anyway, so you have, and then have kids. It's like, look, no one's having kids. Birth rates at a 35-year low, uh, which is 1.7, which is no longer reprodu- like a replacement rate. Uh, in Japan, which is, you know, a couple years ago, adult diapers outsold baby diapers in, in Japan. Yeah, weird, weird statistic, okay, <laughs> but true. Um, and so it's like, you don't want to be that way. So, so he says, okay, so think about how practical this is. This is so practical. It's like, it's almost too practical. It's like, okay, all right, you want to make, you want to have a vision for your life. Okay, God sent me here, uh, so I'm going to establish myself here. So if possible, I'd like to get married, have a family, and love that family, and love my kids, and love my wife, and love my spouse. Okay, well, th- well then what? Well, okay, uh, in light of all that, he'll tell you. Look at verse seven. He's like, okay, so, so once you did that, once you know God's called you there, and, and once you know, you, you, you've, uh, you've established yourself, and, and then also once you've gotten married, and you, okay, here's what I want you to do. But seek the welfare of the city. Welfare is just a word. It's, it's literally peace, shalom. It means overall human flourishing. It doesn't just mean inner calm and lack of conflict. It means overall flourishing. It's like, hey, I want this city to flourish. Here's what he says. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. He says it again. God's not ashamed to take credit for this. And pray. So you see, seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Notice the heart is for the city. Every time we have a church planner that we meet, uh, we meet them often, and they, they want us to help them plant a church, whether finances or prayer or advice. One of the first conversations I always have is basically, what is your city, ver- city vision? Because people don't want to just hear a church vision. 
People don't want to hear, well, we're going to have a dynamic kids ministry and we're going to have community groups and we're going to have multiple services and we're going to be down. It's like, they don't care about that. People want to know, are you going to try to reach the city? Are you going to try to have an impact and an influence in reaching your city and changing and transforming your city? What he says there is he says, I want you to do two things. And this is so, how do you, how does your vision mature, right? Because vision does two things. It will mature you and it will mature in you. That's what vision does. It matures you. Like you have visions like, I gotta change. I gotta be a better person. I gotta repent. I gotta... And then it also matures in you. You're like, well, that was a dumb idea. Okay, I'll try something else, okay? <laughs> and the way, the way that that happens is two ways. And it's right in the text. Pray and plan. Seek the welfare. That's a plan. Have a plan, right? Uh, pray for your city. That's, right? There's a spiritual component. There's a strategic component, right? Some of you are just prayers. There's, there's no planning in your life, right? If you're praying without planning, you're rowing with one oar. What happens when you row with one oar? You're exhausted and you're in a circle, <laughs> right? Um, some of you, you plan without praying. And what happens often there is you realize, okay, this wasn't actually what God wanted for my life. I'm actually in the wrong place. I've been running really hard. I've been in the wrong direction. I, the ladders, I've climbed the ladder. It's, it's leaning against the wrong wall. And so the, the whole idea here is what would it look like at your individual level, at your family level, to go, okay, Lord, here, here's what prayer is. Prayer is, God, what do you want me to do? Plan is, God, okay, here's how I'm gonna try to do it. That's it. It's like, and you wanna start really, really small, right? Because it's like, none of us are that great at anything. And it's like, well, you know, how could you make a difference on your, on your street or in your school or whatever it is? It's like, you go, all right, Lord, well, I, I, I'm gonna pray. Lord, help me. I'm gonna put a plan together. It's going to touch my budget, right? You know, the only way to get things done is to, to put them on your calendar and measure them. Right, if you want to get anything done, put it on your calendar and measure it. Oh, we'd like to have one person over every month from our neighborhood. Great. Put it on your calendar and measure it. And so what he says is, if you will establish yourself, if you will have a great family that prioritizes marriage and children, and if you will pray and plan and say, God, what do you want me to do and how do you want me to do it? God will reveal himself. Which leads to the final thing. Look here. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. So he's saying, hey, look, you're gonna, life is hard on vision and people are going to tell you this is a dumb idea and people are going to tell you, don't worry about these things, right? And you're going to have, and you're gonna watch a lot of television shows that are gonna tell you something different. You know, and you're gonna listen to a lot of music that's gonna tell you something different. He says this, your diviners who are among you, they deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are declaring or that they are prophesying, prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon. So this is going to take a while, right? The average American lives to be 78. So you can basically read, this is your lifetime. So as long as they had to wait is basically as long as we have to wait to see God and have him do something. It says, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and I will bring you back to this place. And then look at verse 11. Now we had to go through all of that to get verse 11 in context, right? Because Bible verses and, and, uh, and, and property have the same rule about them. What's most important? Location, 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 okay? You have to know where the verse is located to understand its meaning. So in light of a lot of things that we're supposed to do, here's what God says. For I know the plans I have for you. So God's like, hey, what's going to motivate you to keep making plans is to know that I have good plans for you. What's gonna keep you caring about other people is to know that I'm caring for you. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, I want you to seek the welfare of other people and I want you to know that I care about you. 
That's what makes Christians different. We don't have to be consumed and overly caring about ourselves because we know God cares for us. He says this, for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12 says this, then you will call upon me and I will come and, pr- and come and pray to me and I will hear you. What a great promise. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Verse 14, as he closes, God says this, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Here's how the chapter ends. God says, I'm asking you. I'm asking you to establish yourself in a city. I'm asking you to believe that I care and I'm in control. I'm asking you to focus on your marriage this year. I'm asking you to focus on your children and your grandchildren. I'm asking you to set aside time to pray and to plan. And then here's the final thing he's saying, and you just read it there. I'm asking you to trust me. I dare you this year to trust God. I dare you to say, I'm going to be confident in God this year. That's what faith is. What is faith? Confidence in God. It's, hey, God, nothing about you's changed. Yes, 2020 was a terrible year, but, I'm, but nothing about you has changed. Yes, I don't know what the next three to five or eight months looks like, but nothing about you's changed. That's confidence in God. I'm confident that God is with me. That's another part of faith. I'm confident that God is for me. Who can be against me? Every time in the Bible where it says, do not fear, guess what the next promise is? Number one command is do not fear. Number one promise is, I will be with you. Now, it's interesting. If you read in verse 14, it says, I will bring you from all the nations. And you go, well, what's that about? Because they're just in Babylon. Why do you say all the nations? It's because this is not just about the 70 years. This is about the promise of the coming of Christ. That he would come and he would find us. Listen, Jesus Christ was sent to a certain time and a certain people and a certain place, just like you and I are. He actually had to leave eternity to enter time. (laughs) He had to leave heaven, which is a great neighborhood, (laughs) to enter our earth, right? He, he, He enters first century Jerusalem and he loves a certain people. Now, he didn't get married, but did he fully invest himself in the culture? Yes. Did he invest in 12 men who would invest in many more? He did. Did he plant himself? Yes, so much so that he was willing to die and rise again that we could be forgiven. And so I wanna give us, if you'll, if, you'll pray, if you'll close your eyes and pray with me, I wanna give us just a moment to respond to this as we look together to 2021 and just wrestle with a few questions. The first question just to wrestle with is, where has God sent you? And you may just look over your life. If you just think about your life, think about your schedule. God has sent you to a certain house in a certain neighborhood, certain career, certain family. And instead of complaining and competing and comparing and watching everybody else's life on social media, what would it look like to you go, this is my life. The grass is not greener on the other side, but where it's watered, what would it look like for me to fully invest, stop complaining and start cultivating where God has had me? Some of you, it's, it, this is it. This is the time to recommit. Recommit to everything in your life. Build the house, plant the garden, recommit. Recommit to your family, recommit to your business, recommit to the city. Lord, we wanna stop and pray for marriages and children. 
Lord, maybe the only place on earth that's gonna continue to hold up the church, the only place on earth that'll continue to hold up marriages and family. Lord, I pray you would strengthen marriage. COVID has been very hard on marriages. There is a marriage crisis in our nation, I'm sure in our city. Lord, protect our marriages. Lord, we pray for our children and all the people in this room and all the children they represent and all the grandchildren they represent, Lord. We wanna see our children walk with you, be faithful to you, Lord. Lord, help us to pray, help us to plan, knowing and trusting that you are a good God who is with us, who is for us in the midst of a very unknown 2021 and a very difficult 2020. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.